and gentlemen, boys and girls, dinner time is here. That's right, we're talking about Season 3, Episode 8 of Hannibal on Dish by Dish. Greetings and salutations, Internet. It's your old pal, Patrick Hamilton. Coming to you once again from the Baltimore Institute for the Criminally Insane. This is the Dish by Dish uh, podcast. We're, we're an extension of Kill by Kill. We do this on our off weeks because uh, we, we, uh, we wanted to watch Hannibal again. It seemed like a good idea at the time, and it continues to be that. My name is Patrick Hamilton. Uh, and, of course, there's only one person I trust. If they really want to get a good look at themselves, they'll take out my eyes and replace them with mirrors. The one, the only, Gina Radcliffe. How are you doing today, Gina? Hang on. Oh, lift. Oh, it's a lot of effort. Okay. Sorry, I'm, I'm doing my, I'm doing my calisthenics. Hang on. <laughs> How hot is your attic and are you uh, sweating profusely? I'm very, very sweaty right now. Hold on. <laughs> okay, I'm ready. <laughs> Let's do this. Oh, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy. Uh, we've reached a, a, a new phase of Hannibal. Now we're we're past the reinterpretation of the book Hannibal. Now we're reinterpreting the book Red Dragon, which I think is the first, and correct me if I'm wrong, the first direct adaptation. Because like the... The Hannibal section is recontextualizing a whole bunch of different things. It's it's no straight Hannibal, uh, the book interpretation by any stretch. But Red Dragon, at least for this this first episode, there are just whole sections lifted out of the book and slapped on screen. Yeah, the only the the the, the primary changes in it are um, the role. Well. Uh, I don't think Chilton is actually in, or is he? Is he in the original book? I don't know that he's an active participant. He may be talked about, but I don't necessarily remember them having an extended conversation. That's very much saved for uh, for the next book. It's yeah, it's a uh, Chilton and uh, the and Freddie Lowndes' fate is is different in in the uh, in this adaptation. Okay. Spoiler alert. Freddy's different. Yeah, if you were if you were uh, eagerly looking forward to uh what happens to Freddy, uh that does not happen to Freddy. <laughs> nah. Just to let you down sure. if you're really strongly if you had very strong feelings about her character. I mean, I can I'm imagining what outfit she would be wearing uh while being lit on fire, uh, being <laughs> thrown down a <laughs> Parking garage while on fire, and I'm sure it would be awesome. <laughs> Alas. Alas. Um, so when was the first time you, did you read Red Dragon first or did you read Silence first? I am pretty sure I read Red Dragon first. Um, I think, I feel like I might've seen the movie. I might've seen Manhunter. I might've caught it on cable before yeah, I think I caught it on cable. Silence of the well, Lambs. Yeah. And then yeah. I read the book and then, then I went into silence after that. But I think, uh, you know, the only one of the books I've returned to more than once is probably Red Dragon. Mm -hmm. 
And so would you say that's your premier version of, you know, this universe in terms of its literary? I mean, there's not, the competition is two books. <laughs> well, yes. Uh, I, I, you're saying if I like it better than silence. Uh, I, yeah. Do you I, like I, it better than silence? I do. Yeah. Now, as far as if you're going to ask me to pick a one movie over the other, I, that's like asking which one's my favorite child. Uh, right. I, I think that you, you can't, it, it's, it's the same universe, but they're so different in, in style that mm-hmm. you can't really, they're, they're, they're two entirely different movies, despite featuring the same, a lot of the same characters and existing within the same world. Um, sure. Now the, you know, the, if you're talking like the, you the remake of Manhunter called Red Dragon. Uh, <laughs> yeah, this, we, we shan't mention that. Oh boy. Oh boy. I was, uh, you know, (laughs) I was like, you know, maybe you could redo it and make it a little bit closer to the book. And, and that might be interesting. And you would, you would have the same, you know, Hannibal Lecter involved in it. And and it might be interesting. And I watched it. I'm like, "Uh, Nope. Uh, no. Um, I don't think it would exist without the Michael Mann movie. It's trying so hard to be, both silence and manhunter at the same time it literally just doesn't have a life of its own it's it's basically a movie it's one of those movies that you know, sets out to quote unquote correct an error which <laughs> in which in in this case would be hey there's not enough Hannibal Lecter in this movie right <laughs> so you know in addition to will consulting him on this new case we're going to have lengthy flashbacks about you know how they met this you know bizarre relationship they kind of maintain now granted nothing on the level of the tv show but right yeah uh and then you know and then how hannibal betrays him and attacks him and so on and so forth whereas i i think the entire amount of screen time that hannibal Lecter gets in manhunter is about six minutes but yeah. you know what? Like you don't forget a single second no, of his he appearance in that. Makes an impression. He he yeah. absolutely does. And by the time Red, I mean God love, I love Anthony Hopkins, but by the time Red Dragon rolled around, he just he's just straight up doing a parody of Hannibal Lecter at this point. Yes, I mean he's as much Hannibal Lecter as he is, you know, Jason Voorhees. He's just. He's putting on a show like he's he's been on the road with Phantom of the Opera for so long that, you know, his Phantom doesn't have wants, needs and emotions. It's just the lights are on. Now I sing this song. It's not really it's not his finest moment. I don't know that it's anybody's finest moment. And there's a whole host of fantastic fucking people in that oh movie. yeah that, the movie should have worked i mean it, unbelievable yes. when, when they announced that cast i was like holy shit this is gonna be uh, yes. amazing i mean honestly harvey Keitel is jack crawford philip seymour hoffman is freddie Lowndes. you know ray fines is francis dollarite um i think emily watson is in there and Correct me if I'm wrong. Isn't Mary Louise Parker like given the thankless Molly role? She is, yeah. As and and Edward Norton oh. is uh is, is Will. Well, he had it coming. Um <laughs> Are you saying he's the weakest link of the in the, the cast? I do. I think he's overcompensating 
his ability to come off like an everyman. And he's also not weird enough to be the weird man. And so he's just a little bit in between in terms of, you know, I don't know. He he just doesn't register as someone who walks among us for me. He's very much a movie. Like he does better when he's playing weird villains or he's got a definitive take on a character and there he's just kind of like, I don't know, can I stare into the middle distance? Is that enough? He just doesn't have a read on it. Yeah, I I, I think that he you went in and like, well, I don't want to be William Peterson in Manhunter. Yes. And it's like, right. you you could try being a little William Peterson in Manhunter. It's okay. Yeah, you might want to try to conjure that magic a little bit because I, I just don't think there's a better William Peterson role. I mean- to live and die in LA is kind of up there, but Peterson is magnetic in Manhunter. Oh yeah. And then you, then you, the thing that you can never replicate are like having Tom Noonan in there and Brian Cox is his own, just pure evil as Lecter. And then you got Dennis Farina walking around, just classing up the fucking joint. <laughs> And and a very small role with Chris Elliott, which I love. Right, yeah. <laughs> just sitting there in, in like a boardroom. <laughs> <laughs> just one of the FBI team. Like, Is that the guy who lives underneath the seats on David Letterman? Uh, okay. Is that the fancy lad? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. And Joan Allen looking hot as hell. Um, oh, Boy, my yeah, Michael Mann knows how to make a movie. This, uh, uh, and who would have known it? Sexy Tigers. It's the sexiest. Just hearing their heartbeats getting you hot. It's a whole thing. <laughs> but that brings us back around to now Hannibal taking on Red Dragon, which is, you know, they've obviously we've talked about this before. They're they're reinterpreting various elements, but to really dive into an adaptation of Red Dragon, I think is an interesting point in its, you know, three seasons that it feels confident enough that, okay, this dynamic that we've had where, you know, we all know that Hannibal was a cannibal, but nobody else knew. And then half the cast knew and then everybody knew and then he escapes and then now he's captured this is changing very much the dynamic of the show and trying to keep the show Hannibal while also doing red dragon. That is quite a tightrope act. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It's a very you know, about face that they take half, yeah. halfway through the season, which is an interesting choice. True. Um, and leaving yourself, what is it? This is episode eight and it ends by 13. So you're not giving yourself a whole ton of time to sort of bring <laughs> red dragon to the screen. But then again, you have more time than any film adaptation has ever had. So there's an advantage to that. And no one is restricting you on the amount of gore you can show because at one point, Will walks into a room that just looks like someone went crazy with a hose, <laughs> with a blood hose. 
Um, uh, so let's talk about our red dragon himself. Uh, this time played by Richard Armitage. Um, <laughs> I got things to say. <laughs> <laughs> this is the time to say him. I mean, let's, let's talk about it. Um, um to me, again, you're, you're looking at two very, the, the, the storylines are similar, but you look at two very different takes on, on yeah. the, the, the source material here. Um, mm-hmm. I don't necessarily find Tom Noonan to be unattractive, but right, yeah. he is a very physically imposing man. And yeah, yeah. he, I, I actually went to a screening of Manhunter some years ago and he, he was there doing a Q and a at the end and he mm-hmm. is fucking enormous. He, he <laughs> literally sure. filled the doorway that he, that he walked through. He's like about six foot 40. Um, <laughs> like he just very, like his face in it is very like, it's just off putting because mm-hmm. he, he's pretty much mostly expressionless. And sure. he, at one point he wears a stocking over his face that, and it should look funny, but it looks terrifying because yeah, it's basically yeah. just distorting his features. Mm-hmm. Um, in this version, uh, <laughs> they, they, they cast Richard Armitage, who is, yeah. might be at this point now, the best looking member of this entire cast with the possible exception of Catherine Isabel. Uh, right, yeah. It's like they cast him and they were like, oh, like, like someone's just seen reading the book, like, oh, wait, this guy's supposed to be ugly. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, well, we start filming tomorrow. What do we do? It's like, yeah. mm, how about, now, hear me out, we cut <laughs> his hair really short and we Perfect. then we button, his, we button his shirts all the way up to the collar. That'll do it. Let's yeah. go. And he just acts weird. And give him a little tiny, little, little tiny scar on his upper lip that for some reason he just doesn't grow a mustache over. Okay. Yeah. You know, <laughs> it's like, all right, great. I love it. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. Richard Armitage uh has the uh, you know, he's done this a couple times. Like he's so attractive that in the Hobbit and he- <laughs> where he's a little like- where he's a little he's a dwarf. He is a he's a he's a right. sexy dwarf. He's a sexy dwarf. Like he's too attractive to really be a dwarf. And <laughs> at one point an elf falls in love with a different dwarf. And you're like, why? <laughs> if they're in the same fucking room, you're telling me you're picking this one over Richard Armitage. Uh, okay. And, and now sure. I will say that the, the, um, the dollar hide of the book is supposed to be really ripped. So right, that yeah. part they got right. Uh, but sure. he is not an attractive man. Uh, he has some sort of malformation with his teeth. Um, and he is basically in a job the, the primarily because it, it keeps him, it keeps him isolated from his coworkers either because, yes. you know, he believes that they think he is so hideous that they can't actually look at him or they actually think this, the, the, the impression yeah. that you get is people are afraid of him without even actually yes. knowing that, that he's a serial killer, that they just kind of yeah. shrink away from him. And, and but, I, this, this guy's just, he's too, he's, he's just Patrick. He's too dreamy. He's too dreamy. All right. 
I agree with you. Absolutely. They're trying everything they can to figure out a way to, you know, distract you from a classically cut jaw. It helps that he does not have a beard or mustache, which is something he has sported oftentimes. He is, he does have a fabulous head of hair. So cutting it does take away a few of his weapons. And in this lunchroom <laughs> where we meet him in, in the sort of dreamy, you know, front porch section of this episode, he is, he is, um, he's having a moment. He's having times unto himself. And I don't, have you ever had a coworker that you just knew you shouldn't have lunch with? <laughs> I have. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> It has been rare. I mean, I, I, of course, have been working from home now for not quite two decades, but we're getting close. So I very much enjoy the person I eat lunch with because I'm married to her. But there have been times where, well, have I told the Jesus Donut show? I, you died. I, I would remember I that. Okay. So back when I worked at Universal Studios Hollywood, uh, there was a guy um, who had Elvis hair and wore Elvis sunglasses. And you're like, well, that's interesting. And then everyone would go, don't, don't get into a conversation with that guy. He's a complete born again zealot. And I'm like, oh, that's interesting with the Elvis get up. Okay. All right. I, listen, you don't have to ask me twice. I'm perfectly fine. But then when everyone caught wind of the fact that this guy, you didn't want to get caught in conversation with him, he would then try to get your get you into a conversation with you other ways. One of them was to bring a box of two dozen donuts and write a Bible verse on the lid. So when you opened it up, you were confronted with Bible. <laughs> And I think he underestimated my desire to eat donuts because I've read the Bible. You're not going to surprise me there. And it only takes me a little while to grab a cruller and get my ass to the other side of the room. <laughs> I then learned that he was the kid on a CBS uh, cop show. What? That had run for like six years or maybe even more than that. And, um, you know, that experience had led him to becoming an Elvis impersonator, studio guide, Bible thumper. Wait, what, so, what show is this? Are you allowed to say? I, I'm i going to hold back from now because I don't I don't know what his situation is currently. Well, okay. But it, this was an a, you know, 80s CBS cop show that played for a long time. And he played, a, a you know, the cops kid on that show. So. Uh, he was a fucking weirdo and none of us wanted to eat lunch with him. And that was his way around it was to talk about fool us. I was going to say, and, and talk about Jesus. So that's always, that's, yeah. that's always a good conversation opener. Do you, do you have a few minutes to talk about Jesus? No, <laughs> I, I feel like all my words about Jesus have been said, you know, <laughs> uh, I, I, it's practically wrote at this point. No one who wants to talk about Jesus ever wants to talk about what Jesus actually believed in. So why the fuck are we talking about him? You know who would like to uh, convert you to his religion? Francis, oh, Francis Dollarhide. 
Oh, is he a big uh, Jesus nut? I mean, we haven't really gotten I, my my uh, remembrance of Red Dragon, the book, and even the movies have kind of faded. Although Jesus wasn't a big thing, it's it's much more this Blake. Uh, well, no, painting. I was going to say he's obsessed with this whole uh, Red Dragon painting. That's his. Right. That's his sort of religion. Have you have you seen the Blake painting? Not in, not in person. No, that's at the yeah. Chicago Institute of Art. It's quite possible. I know that I've seen it. I do remember seeing it and going, "Oh, that's the thing from the book." Um, I had a, and, I had a postcard yeah, he, of it once. <laughs> sure. <laughs> um, he has a lot of muscles that that go in places that muscles shouldn't. That, that red dragon. <laughs> Yeah, he's got a back meant to have a giant back piece tattooed onto it. Truly. Uh he's got he's got delts on his his back. He's got biceps in places. There's all sorts of <laughs> he additional bi- muscles. He has muscles. biceps where he doesn't have arms. <laughs> right. <laughs> and an okay ass. A little I have the feeling that Red Dragon is skipping leg day. It's it just doesn't seem like he's working on his glutes that much. Or is that some sort of phantom effect from his tail? Uh, who's who can say? Yeah, I, I don't I don't know. But yeah, I wasn't looking too much at his legs, honestly. It is actually at the National Gallery of Art. Okay. I know I've seen it at, at one point. Uh that's all I can attest to. Um now Dollarite also. During this, you know, he finds a Time magazine. <laughs> just has this red dragon on the front. He's just like, Ooh. He's, like he's like, what? <laughs> Entered the community meme of this better not awaken anything inside of me. <laughs> oh, and it boy. turns out it absolutely does. It did it, 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 it ever. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, holy Moses, this is exactly what I've been looking for. Um, I'm going, I've already been working out, but I'm going to try to get all those weird muscles on my body. Also, I might need a set of weirdo teeth. Would you know where to go to get weirdo teeth? Well, here's the thing. Like, I I don't know if the writers thought that, you know, how he got, how he acquired those teeth in the book was just, you Mm -hmm. know, you know, a little bit, you know, a little bit too beyond the pale, for for the audience of this show, because they there was a set of dentures that belonged to his grandmother, right? Uh, and and she she raised him and was abusive towards him. Uh, but he after she died, he he kept the dentures and he would wear them when he when he would would when he would kill people. Like that's yes. he was wearing those dentures when he would when he would you know, he would bite people, which is why he's called the Toothberry. But here yeah. he just like you know just make the you know, custom make me these you know, these these grotesque dentures. <laughs> it's like uh, well, what do you need these for? Um, I'm gonna um, I'm gonna be there for a movie role. <laughs> you know me, I collect weirdo teeth. Um, they. There is that one connection where he looks at the paper clipped um, photo of him and his grandmother and he tosses it away. Um, so they're kind of alluding to it without saying it. But yeah, he's getting a a set where he can really he can really bite on some people. That That's his main goal here. 
I do like his very quaint, like grandma scrapbook that looks like something yeah. from like 1890. And he's got, yes. he's got like the pot of a uh, rubber cement. Like you can't just go to like, you know, Michael's or Joanne's and get like the little, like yeah. uh, little, a glue stick. Yeah, or like a little adhesive, uh, you know, <laughs> little dots you can put on the back of it. He's like, no, he's slopping that rubber cement no. on. No, he's, he's got an art project thing going on. He needs, he needs industrial strength glop to, to put on there. Um, and I know this montage is supposed to sort of represent many months of activity, but I'd love to think of it as three consecutive days where he's just more efficient at life than I just am. fill, just fill in this, this bulging scrapbook. Yeah. <laughs> Just my my just, my my big more time in the day. My big book of heinous murders. <laughs> oh, I'd love to have a big book of heinous murder just to have around the house. Um, I'm so bad at scrapbooking and and keeping memories. If I didn't have my phone, you know, I was gonna say maybe, that, maybe he's got that up on. Isn't us. that a cornerstone of the Mormon Church? It is a bit of a cornerstone of the Mormon church. Of course, my parents weren't great at, at reproducing cornerstones of the Mormon church. They're, they're very social Mormons. I, I think for, for a lot of it, all that shit requires effort. I hear that. <laughs> and my family is not a high effort clan. I hear that. <laughs> <laughs> um. So yeah, we have our standard opening credits and then we get the magical after Hannibal has been captured three years later. Yeah, this is our, our, Gotta love our, it. our biggest time jump. For sure. Yes, absolutely. Um, in this show, it's without a doubt the biggest time jump we've ever had. Um, and we meet Alana. She's still, uh, she's still around somehow. She's still around. <laughs> Because, because she figured it because out. she and Dr. Chilton are the only psychiatrists in all of Baltimore County. Right. And even though they both have a, a, a you know, probably uh, uh, it almost certainly uh, boundary crossing personal connection with Hannibal Lecter, they're still also possibly treating him, which which. It seems to be more Alana than Chilton. I, Chilton seems to be visiting because when. When Alana walks into the office, she's like, get out of my chair, which used to be his. So I think he's no longer there and he's making money off of writing books and she has taken his job. I, I just feel like they maybe should have sent him to a different hospital. I uh, would agree. Um, but would any other hospital be able to give him the digs that he has like white walls with molding and letting wow. him, him give him access to prepare uh, exotic desserts. Yeah. He like, he he's cooking. They allow <laughs> him to cook. They give him pencils. <laughs> yeah. Guy like, it's like, you know, murdered like 27 people. <laughs> and like, well, should we give them a sharpener? No, we'll sharpen up the pencils before they go in there. And I'm sure everything will work out great. Um, yeah. And <laughs> he's just sketching while he talks to Alana. Yeah, like I said, it's, like, it's, 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 it's important to point out once again that, that this show does not exist in any, like, pretense of, of the real world. It just, no, it we just do not come it. to Hannibal yeah. for real life. It just does, does not. 
No, it is not. If you're looking for that, this isn't where you're going to get it. Um, I was happy that after all the adaptations of Red Dragon, we finally got to see someone who is looking at themselves under the moon covered in blood and how it quote appears quite black. Yes. I will say like as much as I was a little uh, dubious at, you know, a, a male model being cast to play Francis Dollarhide. I, I, I do think, <laughs> yeah. I do think he does a great job. It's, it's nothing against yes. his, you know, I don't, I, I, I don't have any problem with him as an actor and I, I no. do. And, and, and I appreciate that he's not trying to do, Tom Noonan. I, I, I like yeah. this, uh, uh, what I described in the, in the group chat, um, this sort of interpretive dance nightmare dollar hide. I, 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 yeah. I like that. I like that take on it. I think there is plenty of room for different interpretations of all these characters. Sure. Yeah. And, and I think we get very different interpretations of almost all these characters. So why not dollar hide? Um, and speaking of which, um, there's a moment here where Chilton is is trying to kind of, and this is very much from the book and every interpretation where they where someone goads Hannibal about you're no longer cool. The new hotness is the quote tooth fairy, and that's supposed to irk him in some way. But the thing is, like Hannibal isn't really stung by not being the center of everyone's attention. There are certain people he would like their attention more than they give to anyone else, namely Will. But he's not like, I have to be the bell of the ball at all times. That's not that's not really this version of Hannibal's thing. And yet Chilton, who <laughs> has been wrong so often that if he was ever right, it was definitely by accident <laughs> and probably turned the wrong way. Is like, uh, maybe I'm gonna write a book about him because you suck now. Uh, I love, hey, I love man, what he's he all made like. You chocolate pudding in an orange. I know, man. That looked fucking amazing. Have you ever had anything? Have you, good, have you ever anything like that? I have never had that concoction that is supposedly made with blood and chocolate. That, but I do love chocolate and orange as a a mixture of flavors. Uh, Becky hates it. You ever get that little chocolate orange thing on Christmas Day? Mm, num, num, num. Yeah, yeah. C's candy used to make this thing that was like a, uh, like a quarter sized disc of orange candy, and then they would dip half of it in chocolate. And oh my god, it was so fucking good. But apparently, I was the only one on Earth who liked it because they got rid of that shit about two decades ago. I do like this conversation between, uh, well, you can't really call it a conversation. It's where Chilton's kind of talking at him, which he, which yeah. he, which he usually does. That's kind of how Chilton holds a conversation. Yeah. He's you know, he, trying to stay on the same plane as Hannibal, which is a fucking fool's errand, but he is a fool. Right. He just talks to people and they barely tolerate his presence. I mean, I, I get it. We've all, we've all been in conversations like that. Um, yes. But, uh, He's like, oh well, uh, you know, you you were you were too fancy and fussy. But what the people really like is people who murder entire families. <laughs> like, <laughs> That's great. Do they, uh, Freddy? <laughs> oh, not Freddy. Uh, what is your what is what is, what is his first name again? It is Frederick. Oh, 
Is it? Yeah, is, is, he a, is he a Frederick too? All right, so we have two Freddies I, on this show. Okay, we do have two Freddies. Um, I guess so, right? Yeah, you know, it's like you. You sure about that, Doc? That uh, that you know the people love you know child murderers. You know? <laughs> <laughs> like, I mean, are we are we talking like yeah. popularity scales here? <laughs> he refers to him as a four quadrant killer, which I found very funny. Um, but then we catch up with Will and instead of going down South to the keys, he's in, he's in the, a, a wolfier trap. <laughs> he just, it's snowbound. It looks like the shining is happening in the background. Yeah. The, uh, um, the, the most shocking reveal about this whole sequence is that Will somehow now has a girlfriend uh, yes. To which I say, William Matthew Graham, you are not ready for a long-term relationship. Particu- yeah. Particularly, and there's a child. I'll say particularly with anyone who has a child. Like, what what yeah. sort of turbocharged therapy has he been going through in the past three <laughs> years that he's like, well, you know, what? I don't really think about that much anymore. <laughs> it's like you don't. <laughs> yeah. It's a speed run uh, therapy session that he went through in order to nab uh, Molly here, who does have his last name. So they might be fully married. That's okay. Uh, I'm just looking at her character name is Molly Graham. So now in the books, they've, they were married way back when. So it's not like it's a newer thing. They just like made him a free and fancy bachelor on the show right um and here you know this kid is not not his kid in fact in the book i think they have a couple kids more than just one no it's a, no it's the one kid I, and i think that it is it kid. is not his child but that he that he's been in the child's life for a quite a while like longer than nice. he than he is he, he is here yeah um it was really nice to see scott thompson back <laughs> Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> oh my god! And just when he walks into a scene, it's just fucking magnetic. Um, uh, do you have someone semi competent who can help me? <laughs> oh yeah, my my uh, my favorite line is his partner talking about taking uh, dental impressions from the victims, and he's like, "Well, we got one from uh, Mrs. Jacob or Mrs. Leeds, I think was the the um, mm-hmm. he's like, and this cheddar this cheddar cheese wheel thing in the refrigerator, and I'm like." I beg your pardon. That is a baby bell. Thank you very much. It's entirely possible that baby bell did not want to be associated <laughs> with this four quadrant serial killer. And, and, and you know what? All I can say is that if a serial killer were to sneak into my house and annihilate me and my entire family and wanted to, you look at my refrigerator for a little snack, they would find baby mm. bells in there. Yeah, there you go. I think we might have some too. Although, uh, you know, Becky being from Wisconsin is a little bit pickier about cheese, but uh, also my son has like, a, a, he doesn't like cheese that's melted. He, he'll ha- he can handle cheese that's uh, that's unto itself, but once it hits a melting point and it's not on a pizza, and even then it has to be very light on the melted cheese. It's very weird. That is weird. I guess it's a texture thing. Probably. Yeah. It's not right. And I don't like it. And I'm going to try to beat it out of him. Obviously not physically, but you know, <laughs> mentally and emotionally. I mean, you could try, you could try physically if nothing else works. <laughs> I, I guess, but I just don't think it'll work. <laughs> um, uh, Molly has this 
great line when Will says, if I go, I'll be different when I get back. Uh, and she goes, I won't. I'm like, oh, damn. Damn. Damn, that's a good woman. Yeah. But let's also let's also talk about uh one Mr. Jack Crawford who's like sure. um I'm still on the job, apparently. Um <laughs> got one at back. Still in still in charge. Uh mm-hmm. eventually investigating another horrific serial killer case. Um and I'm gonna bring back my one guy to uh <laughs> to help me investigate who the last I saw him was so beyond psychologically damaged that he could barely speak. But you know, yes. I, I heard he's doing all right. So I, I heard he has yeah, I heard he know. has a I heard he didn't die. So, you know, we'll 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 see if we can bring him back on the case. Just get the band back together one more time. Yeah, he got he only got sawed in the head a little bit. Uh anyone can and bounce gu- back and, from that. And head, gutted but. and shot yeah. and yeah. you know got his face carved into looks great by the way. Oh, hardly a scar, if at all. Like whoever his surgeon is, uh, chef's kiss, because uh, that punum looks fantastic. Um, and but no, just coax him right back into it, and so he runs off to the Leeds house. Uh, got himself a couple pictures. Uh, makes his way in there, which is again looks like uh, someone had a jello uh, red cherry jello pudding party and um has a bit of performance anxiety before he finally gets the wah, 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 walk back in time it's, um, it, i do actually like this scene because he looks scared but yeah. it's unclear if he is scared because it's not happening or because he doesn't want it to happen yes i think it's a little bit of both and then that shot of after he goes through the entire fantasy sequence and he he understands what our our killer's design is and you come back to reality and the red strings that indicate blood splatter become his wings um that's fucking awesome yeah yeah that's a beautiful shot i love it um, and so, I mean, if we're playing choose your own death venture here, you're either going to get shot or stabbed and then have mirrors put in your face. So, uh, do you have a preference? I mean, that one kid was asleep when he got shot. So, yeah. you know, I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll, take, yeah, I'll take that. I'll take nappy time. I don't want to stumble throughout the house worrying about my children while my blood is spurting out of my neck no um i did not care for that no. that was that that I was that that did not uh, look enjoyable in the slightest Mm-mm, no that's a big no thanks uh, for me um but that pretty much does it you know josh hollis does our artwork uh revenge body does all of our music here on the show go to revenge body memphis at bandcamp.com for all of his remixes and our main themes gina where can people find you on these here internets i write about movies and television at the spool.net um i do a little side project with uh joe lipsit and jed adams called white ladies in crisis uh we just wrapped up uh, season two of Apple TV's Physical, and uh, we will shortly be getting into the Hulu miniseries Candy. 
Um, and you can find me on Twitter under Gina Does Things. Do it today. People check it out. Of course, you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, uh, our Patreon, where we're doing cool shit. Uh, we have a fun uh, listener request this month. We're talking Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar. Uh, truly the greatest uh, comedy film of the pandemic. I'm going to put my bill down on that bet, and it's a sure thing. Uh, and, of course, we're still continuing to talk about various Halloween movies. Um, but that just about does it for now. Don't worry, folks. The body count will continue for myself and for Gina. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye.